Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, so I thought we would spend a few minutes talking about tips for feeding pets Thanksgiving leftovers. According to PetMD.com, 56% of PetMD readers admitted to sharing Thanksgiving table scraps with their pets. We know the holidays, including Thanksgiving, can be a very stressful time for your companion animal. In addition, you got to be aware of certain health hazards, including what foods are toxic and sometimes even deadly to your pet. Okay, so let's start with the turkey. Can pets eat turkey? Well, sure, but you got to be smart about it. Like, small amounts are okay if the turkey's unseasoned and without the skin. And only if you know turkey agrees with your pet's digestive system. Some pets can't tolerate turkey. So no fatty skin and no seasoning. Both of these can upset the GI tract. And another big no, make sure there's no bones. Even the smallest bones can lead to choking. And if swallowed, bones can cause obstruction, which would require surgery. Can your pet eat stuffing? No. And it's not the bread of the stuffing that can harm your pet, but it's the ingredients in the stuffing, like onion, grapes, raisins. These foods are toxic to pets. The fruits, grapes, and raisins have been shown to cause kidney failure in dogs. And going back to the onion, nothing with alliums should be given to your pet. Do you know what an allium is? It's a bulbous plant of a genus that includes the onion and its relatives. So that's onion, garlic, leeks, scallions, chives, none of these should be ingested by your pet. And these ingredients are typically in Thanksgiving dishes, including the stuffing. And in general, any rich flavors and ingredients in foods, and you know how rich Thanksgiving dishes can be, these can cause diarrhea and disagree with your pet system. Pumpkin pie, yummy, but not for your pet. However, 100% pumpkin is actually good for your dog or cat. And not only do a lot of animals like pumpkin, it aids with digestion. Peter and I buy 100% pumpkin in the can, and we often give our dogs about, about a tablespoon of pumpkin, and we have large dogs, along with their meals. So judge accordingly, depending on the size of your dog, but they absolutely love it. It's like a treat for them. And I know that because when pumpkin is served along with their meals, our dogs tend to go right to that tiny amount of pumpkin on the side of their dish, and it's the first thing they eat. And the benefits of aiding in their digestion, I remember when one of our dogs, Skye, swallowed a piece of toy, we brought her immediately to the vet, of course, and identified or saw the piece of foreign body from the toy on x-ray of her abdomen, and it wasn't obstructing her or in any dangerous location, so that was a good thing. Well, a lucky thing, I should say. So the vet thought the best thing to do is for us to just watch her closely, and she suggested for us to feed her pumpkin with every meal so it can help with the passing of the toy piece through the GI tract, which it did. We saw it in her stool about four days later. It required us physically examining each and every stool she had, but it worked. Can my pet eat sweet potatoes? Yes, only if cooked and prepared plain. No marshmallows on top, no spices on top, just plain. And again, our dogs love sweet potatoes. Lots of key nutrients in them, so very healthy for them as well. And same for mashed potatoes. Potatoes are okay for your pets, but not the cheese, not the sour cream or butter or onions and gravies that people usually like to include when they eat potatoes. What about 
cranberry sauce. Actually, cranberry sauce is just fine for pets, but you gotta watch the amount of sugar in it. So it's probably best to only provide a small taste to your pet. How about macaroni and cheese? Do people serve macaroni and cheese on Thanksgiving? If you know your pet's stomach handles dairy okay, macaroni and cheese is a safe leftover to share. If you're unsure, though, it may be best just to give them plain macaroni. And by the way, did you know that cats often develop lactose intolerance when they become adults? Good thing to know. Green beans. Oh, yeah. Plain green beans are a wonderful treat for pets. Fresh vegetables are a great addition to any diet. Who serves just plain green beans on Thanksgiving? So what do you do? Put some green beans aside to save your pet before making your casserole. So, yes on plain green beans, but no in a casserole because of the other ingredients in there. Growing up in my house, my mother would always make her famous green bean casserole as part of our Thanksgiving dinner, which were mixed or topped with extremely rich and fatty ingredients, and somewhere on the bottom of the casserole dish were the vegetables. Anyway, point being, plain, raw, or cooked beans are good for your pets. We often give our dogs raw and steamed green beans for a snack. Actually, you know what we discovered is that our dogs love all kinds of beans. We buy a big bag of beans, any, any kind, pinto, garbanzos, kidney beans, and stick them in our crock pot and cook them long enough so they're nice and soft. And we add some beans to their meals. You can also just buy cans of any kinds of beans, but be sure to rinse them off well. You know, just to make sure you rinse off all the salt and preservatives or whatever is added to the canned beans. Other dangerous and toxic foods you need to be aware of. Well, we all know about chocolate, right? Very important to keep all baking chocolate and any sweets with chocolate well out of your pet's reach. Xylitol, an artificial sweetener, very toxic if your pet ingests it. You know where to find xylitol? It's sometimes used in baking. It's in a lot of sweets. You can find xylitol in gum, mints, and candies. People don't realize xylitol is put in some peanut butters and nut butters, too. Xylitol is in some drink powders, jams, and syrups, and even some ice cream. Also, don't let your pet accidentally get to or chew on nasal spray bottles or toothpaste tubes or mouthwash. These all can contain xylitol. So sweeteners containing xylitol are very dangerous for your pets, poisonous to animals, potentially deadly to your dogs. Alcohol is definitely a big no for pets. Do I even need to mention that? Probably not to the average listener of the show, because we know that even a very small amount can be toxic to our animals, and it would be a very stupid thing for you to do to see if your pet wants a little lick or drink of any alcoholic beverage. I had a friend an ex-friend who thought it would be neat to see if his dog would like to drink some beer. So we poured beer into the dog's water bowl. What can I say? There's people doing stupid things all around us. And keep in mind that alcohol poisoning can occur in pets from atypical items like fruitcake. Since fruitcake recipes sometimes call for rum or other liquor, as well as unbaked bread. And speaking of unbaked bread, don't give your pets bread dough. When a dog or cat ingests raw bread dough, the yeast continues to convert the sugars in the dough to carbon dioxide, gas, and alcohol. This can result in bloating of your pet, which is dangerous enough to your animal, and again, the alcohol, of course, both can lead to a life-threatening emergency. Other Thanksgiving hazards? 
How about decorations? And I suppose since this is the time of the beginning of the holiday season, Christmas decorations are also put out now. Just use common sense and be thoughtful about what you display and where you place them in terms of proximity to your animals or if your pets can get to them, just like you would if you had a toddler or child. Many ornaments we put out are just the perfect size for animals to play with and then ingest. And swallowing can lead to choking and or obstruction. Avoid decorations with ribbons or other small parts that could be easily swallowed. Also, this is the time of year we put out the flowers. Many plants are toxic to our animals if ingested. A big one are lilies. Lilies are extremely toxic to cats, causing kidney failure and death. Be careful with candles and don't leave them unattended as a wayward tail can catch on fire. Close that oven door promptly. Yikes. Can you imagine your cat jumping in there or your dog inadvertently touching the sides of the oven? I mean, I'm not just saying this to be extra careful or call me neurotic, but in fact, vets see these types of tragedies in their office every year. And these are avoidable tragedies if you're just thoughtful and careful about what you're doing and who's around you. Secure the trash. It used to take our dear, wonderful, troublemaking dog, Susie, about two seconds to rip open a trash bag and grab the first item she could get her mouth onto. Even on walks, if we let her get within leash range to someone's trash bag left on the street, she would easily tear it open and grab something in a split second. Fun memory of our wonderful Susie Q. And finally, Thanksgiving usually means winter is approaching. As people prepare for the cold, antifreeze is used and spills can be had. And you probably know that antifreeze is highly poisonous to animals. Be careful even on walks. It might not even be your antifreeze. The sweet smell of this highly toxic substance attracts pets to it. So you might be thinking your dog is just going over to smell someone else's dog's urine or markings, but before you know it, your dog takes a lick or two of this very poisonous substance. Vet offices and vet emergency rooms are packed during this time of year, and it's up to you to protect your pet on Thanksgiving and the holidays, and all year round for that matter. With strange people at your house and the change of environment and different noises, the holidays can be quite overwhelming and stressful for your pet. It might be good to create a safe and quiet space for your pet. Having an area where he or she can be at peace, surrounded by their favorite toys and treats, will keep everyone happy. Also, inform your guests before they arrive not to feed your pet any table scraps. I would say if you can remember one thing about the holidays and pet safety, that would be the best way to minimize the added stress to your pet is to try to keep your pet's eating and exercising habits as close to their normal routine as possible. Oh, by the way, did you know there's a pet poison helpline? Yes, you need to know this. And I'm going to give you that number in a minute so you get a pen ready and you should just always have this number handy. Stick it to your fridge or post it on your wall or whatever. But it's good to have readily available if you ever need it. The Pet Poison Helpline is a 24-hour animal poison control service available throughout the U.S., Canada, and the Caribbean for pet owners and veterinary professionals who require assistance with treating a potentially poisoned pet. Okay, ready? The number is 855-764-7661. 
So if you think your pet ingested something toxic or poisonous, call your veterinarian or the Pet Poison Helpline immediately. The sooner a dog poisoning or cat poisoning is diagnosed, the easier, less expensive, and safer it is to treat your pet. Again, that number is 855-764-7661. And you can always Google Pet Poison Helpline. Coming up, you want to guess what I think is the most pointless annual White House tradition? That's next, right after the break. Welcome back to Animals Today. Do you know why many people eat turkey on Thanksgiving? Of course we don't eat turkey in our household, but do you know the history of the Thanksgiving turkey? Actually, nobody really knows. Historians have a few different theories. According to letters and records kept by early American settlers, we know that when the colonists sat down to dine with the Wampanoag Indians, beef and fowl were on the menu. This historical meal would later become known as the first Thanksgiving. Historians can't even say for sure which type of fowl was served up that day. Anyway, people like to call it tradition, right, Peter? Yes, tradition. There are many, many uh, strange and silly traditions, aren't there? Peter, a little turkey trivia. Thank you. Can turkeys fly? Turkeys can fly. Wild turkeys can fly, but domestic turkeys cannot. How fast would you say turkey can run? Can run. Like a wild turkey running about 20 miles an hour. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. The loose, long skin that hangs down on a turkey's neck is called a... That is called a gobbler. Not gobbler. Waddle. Waddle. Oh, of course. Isn't there a Yiddish word for... For grandma's neck skin? <laughs> oh, no, that's not nice. No, isn't there like a schmaltz or schlamazel or... Schmaltz is a schmaltz. Yiddish fat... Chicken fat. Okay, okay. And schlamazel? I don't know what that is. So, Peter, every Thanksgiving, the president pardons a turkey or two, which personally I think is absolutely the most senseless annual presidential or or White House tradition I can think of. And I know, Peter, that you're going to educate us on the history of this convoluted, silly ritual. And hopefully in there somewhere you're going to tell us what the point is. When 56 million turkeys are killed for Thanksgiving every year, we think, or the president thinks, it serves some purpose to spare the lives of two random turkeys. I mean, on one hand, we, the president represents we, are publicly demonstrating an act of compassion for and kindness to a living, sentient being or beings, plural, two of them, usually. And I should add, two living beings who did nothing wrong shouldn't be offered a pardon, right? So a demonstration of an act of kindness, when at the same time we're making the bird, 56 million birds each year, who are killed in a violent, cruel fashion, to be the center of our holiday tradition. Senseless. And schizoid, it just is uh, weird. Sure is. So, Lori, eating turkeys in the White House around the time of Thanksgiving goes back uh, pretty far. And the pardon tradition actually comes much later. President Lincoln, uh, his son named Tad, he really doted on his son. Tad uh, was reported to have asked his father to spare the turkey one year, and he did. And uh, later, 
Tad named the turkey Jack and taught the bird to follow him around the grounds of the White House. That's so cool. Over the next decades, the tradition of having turkey at the White House for Thanksgiving uh, became ingrained and various sources brought the turkeys to the White House. In 1873, Harold Vose, who was a poultry farmer from Rhode Island, uh, sent President Grant a turkey. And thereafter, he sent turkeys yearly with that tradition going on and on. But by 1947, the National Turkey Federation took on the uh, task of being the official supplier of the turkey to the White House for both Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you know, Lori, there is a common misconception about the history of the presidential turkey pardons because many people and for a long time it was believed that President Truman was the first to pardon a turkey back in 1947. But it turns out that is false because in 2003, the Truman Library tried to correct this mistake. Their staff researched all their materials and found no documents, speeches, newspaper clippings, photographs, or other contemporary records in their holdings, which refer to Truman pardoning a turkey they received as a gift any time during his presidency. Wow. So it's a bit of corrected history. Now, President George Bush was the first person to officially use the word pardon in 1989. And so he initiated the custom by using the word pardon. But a few days before JFK was assassinated, it's reported that he spared a turkey's life. He said, we'll just let this one grow and sent the turkey back to his farm. But it was not like an official pardon. And since then, the tradition has continued. Usually two turkeys will receive a pardon. But they're really never set free, are they? Well, they're supposed to go back to a farm or a sanctuary. And unfortunately, they tend not to live very long. These are grown with hormones and they're very heavy and they uh, just generally don't do well. In fact, the last duo that Obama pardoned, one of them died within a year and the other, uh, they said, trimmed down a little bit and is still alive. Yeah, because they're commercially raised to be abnormally large and too large to live a, a long, healthy life. Right. And, and that, 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 you know, happens in a lot of these commercially raised farm animals that are rescued and end up in sanctuaries. It's not like they are normal animals. They're, they're gigantic. And, and they're not healthy. And they're not healthy. They have trouble ambulating. Breathing. Everything. Yeah. So there is the presidential turkey pardon. I wonder what President Trump and Melania are going to do. Well, you know what I would love to see in my lifetime? I wonder how Melania is going to dress these turkeys. <laughs> That's not funny. Okay. You know what I'd love to see in my lifetime? Yeah. A president declining to partake in this ridiculous tradition, or better yet, partake in it, but at the same time, talk about pardoning these turkeys, not for the, quote, tradition reason, whatever that is, but instead talk about industrial animal farming and overall meat consumption in our country. That's what I'd like to see. Mm, how long are you going to live? Yeah, and you're right. And I'm not holding my breath that the 
father, our current president of two trophy hunters, will be the first to do this. Well, that's a good point. They better keep his sons away from these turkeys. Yeah, really. And for you tuning in, I'd like to suggest that you try to adopt a plant-based vegetarian menu for this holiday season. See what you think. I bet it's going to make you feel really good. You know, I was just thinking that. Good point. Yeah. Okay, stick around. More with Animals Today right after the break. Hi, this is Dr. Lori, and here's your Animals Today Minute for today. Let's add some variety to your pup's diet with new fruits and veggies. Here's some healthy and tasty ones to try. Apples and pieces, which supply vitamin A and C, as well as fiber, are a nice addition and can freshen the breath. We have yet to meet a dog who turns away pieces of apple. Bananas have potassium, vitamins, biotin, fiber, and copper, but also a lot of sugar. So give them only as small snacks. Blueberries, so good for humans, also supply antioxidants, fiber, and phytonutrients to dogs. And some dogs, but not mine, like oranges. But these can be a healthy but sugary treat for them. Carrots are great low-calorie veggies for dogs and good for the teeth as well. Celery also has good vitamin content and may freshen the breath too. And peas, of course, present in many prepared dog foods, are a great addition. But avoid canned peas with added salt. Other foods to avoid include macadamia nuts, which can cause vomiting, weakness, tremors, and depression, and avocados, which contain the toxin person, a cause of stomach upset in dogs and cats. And never allow dogs to eat raisins or grapes, which even in small amounts can cause vomiting, diarrhea, severe kidney damage, seizures, and even death. And that's your Animals Today Minute for today. back to animals today. A few years ago, our veterinarian advised us to begin giving our dogs preventative heartworm medication. As you know, we live in the Southern California desert, and it was explained to us that whereas in the past, heartworm was not an issue around here, more cases were being seen and the recommendations have been updated. So now every month, the dogs get a little tablet to chew and an expensive little tablet, I must add. And before starting this medicine, we had to get them tested to make sure they did not have an active infection. So what exactly is heartworm and what do you need to know about it to keep your dogs and cats safe? Veterinarian Robert Reed is back with us. Dr. Reed is medical director at VCA Rancho Mirage Animal Hospital. Hey, Robert. Hi, Lori. Robert. Nice to hear your voice. Thank you. You too. Robert, what is heartworm? Well, heartworm, of course, is a worm. Um, it mainly affects dogs. Um, unlike most of the worms we think of that might affect dogs, this one does not live in the intestine. It lives in the bloodstream. And as they mature in a dog, they settle in the main arteries around the heart, so they cause heart disease. And most dogs that get heartworm disease will die from it. So how can we detect early infection, Robert? Well, it's probably important to, to recognize how heartworms are transmitted to dogs and what leads to the infection uh, to understand what we can do to prevent it and how we might manage it. The heartworms, of course, being a blood-borne uh, disease, have to be inoculated by something like, in this case, a mosquito that can carry the parasite from one dog who's infected to a dog who's not infected. 
And there are only certain types of mosquitoes that can do this because the parasite has to be transformed within the mosquito before it can become infected to another dog. And for this reason, some areas are going to be more problematic for heartworms than others because sometimes the mosquitoes are more prevalent that can carry heartworms. And, of course, those mosquitoes have to have a reservoir of dogs in the area that have heartworms. So you'll definitely see some variation in the frequency of heartworm disease in any given area. So to prevent dogs from developing heartworm disease, we recommend that they be tested to ensure that they don't currently carry the parasite and then go on a monthly tablet as a preventive to keep them from getting disease associated with heartworms. And it's kind of interesting how this works. It's not actually preventing the infestation of worms, but rather it's killing any worms that they do pick up. That's why it's only given once a month, so that anything that a dog has picked up in the previous month will still be killed. It will be killed by the medication. The heartworm larva that circulates in the bloodstream is vulnerable to the medication for about 30 days. The medication doesn't actually stay in the system for 30 days. It stays there for one day, and then it's gone. It just kills anything that a dog has picked up in the last month. Now, can cats get heartworm? Cats can get heartworm, yes. They're not the primary carriers, not the primary hosts for heartworm, and it's a little harder for them to get it, and it's really unusual for a cat to serve as a reservoir for infection. But cats can get heartworm, and they can suffer heartworm disease. In fact, in some cases, it's actually more severe in cats than it is in dogs. Robert, as I mentioned earlier, our dogs are now taking monthly preventative medicine. Should all dogs and cats be taking this? You know, I think so. It's really, it is, because the heartworm incidence varies by region, it's important to talk to your, your local veterinarian to, to know what the actual risk is. I don't think heartworm disease does any harm. And actually, I mean, heartworm prevention does any harm, but it actually, and it actually does protect against some other diseases, but not every area has a high risk for heartworms. And it's also important to keep in mind that risk levels can change over time as as mosquitoes are introduced into an area, as the population of infected dogs grows in an area, and sometimes when wildlife like coyotes become infected with uh, heartworm disease, they can serve as reservoirs as well, which can affect the frequency uh, or incidence of heartworm disease in a given area. Why do we have to test the dog before starting heartworm medication? That's a good question. Uh, usually the main reason we test dogs is to see if they already have been affected by the worm because once they have it, it's not going to be affected by the medication. In other words, the preventive treatment does not get rid of the worm if it's been there for more than 30 days. So if a dog has heartworms that are in a mature stage, the medication that we use for prevention will not work. The treatment has to be done differently, and it's much more involved than the prevention. If we didn't know that they had heartworms already, and we put them on that medication, we might think we were protecting them when in reality they had a disease that was already developing that we were not addressing. Um, there's also a very slight risk that if a dog has heartworms in its system and you start them on a medication, you might cause some illness in them. 
But the main reason is to make sure that you don't overlook the fact that they already have heartworms and that you're not addressing it. What was the impact of the Katrina disaster on the prevalence of heartworm disease nationally? It's hard to say for sure, but you'd expect that certain areas that might have been lightly affected by heartworms could have had their incidence increase as a result of dogs from Louisiana or another similarly high area or high incidence area of heartworms were transferred into that area. So if a number of dogs came into an area that had heartworms and no one was used to having heartworms around and weren't using prevention, and a mosquito was present that present that could transmit the heartworms, then that would certainly increase the risk locally for dogs affected by those mosquitoes that had been exposed to the positive dog. So, Laura, you mentioned the effect that uh, the transporting Katrina dogs into an area might have um, on the incidence of heartworm disease, and that's an example of how the the risk of heartworm disease, the level of risk, can evolve over time. Uh, For example, again, we have in Southern California recently learned that there are species of mosquito that that are not native to California that have been introduced from other countries and are capable of carrying heartworms. We have not previously had a large number of mosquitoes that could transmit heartworms to our dogs. Now we have a potential population of mosquitoes that's much larger than it used to be and our level of risk is expected to increase in the next few years, particularly if pet owners in our area are not becoming more aware of it and are not beginning to use the prevention more readily, more effectively. Do we see heartworm disease in other places around the world, such as areas where there are lots of mosquitoes, and I'm thinking Africa and South America? There are different types of heartworms, but certainly you can see heartworm disease in any area where the parasite exists and a mosquito that's capable of transmitting it is present as well. The heartworm disease that we deal with in the U.S. is fairly specifically for our hemisphere. Veterinarian Robert Reed, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. AnimalsTodayRadio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's AnimalsTodayRadio.com. Thanks for listening. Have you ever noticed how cats walk? When they walk, their left front legs move in tandem with their left back leg, and the right legs do the same. Okay, I guess I never thought about that. Isn't that interesting? Which is different than humans or dogs. And I believe there are only two other animals that walk in this fashion. Do you want to guess? You mean outside the feline family? Yes. Mm. Uh, The tallest mammal in the world. The giraffe? Yeah. Oh, wow. You notice that? Picture in your head. The giraffe's left leg. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and the camels. Camels. And another interesting thing about our cat's locomotion patterns is that the cat will place his left back foot in exactly the same place as the left front foot just vacated. Now that is cool. That I like that factoid. Okay. <laughs> so you probably know we have a number of cats in the house and we've made a lot of accommodations over the years to keep our cats safe and happy, haven't we, Lori? We sure have. And uh, Ringo, who's a little devil, well, we learned that he is a little escape artist, and uh, he's figured out how to open 
doors that are actually closed. And we've got a lot of doors in the house that have these handles and not knobs, but handles. And he would just leap up and grab it and the door would sort of pop open. And this was causing uh, really a lot of trouble because sometimes we want him away from some of the other cats. So we had to do another house modification. There are many of these around their house based upon cat behavior. And this one was me basically changing these handles out for doorknobs. So I'm not the most handy guy, but this was a project I was able to do. Although the paint never quite looks the same, you know, you got to ignore the marks from the previous uh, handle. And Peter, we finally got to see him do it once, which is actually a funny little maneuver that he does. It really is. It really is cute. And it started first. We were hearing the sound like, you know, you know, him and we knew he was doing, but we never caught him in the act. So he jumps up on the door handle. And sort of hangs a little bit off of it. Right. And he depresses it down. And yeah. then on his way down, on his descent, it's like he pushes the door open. I know. It's, it's really very smart. <laughs> little escape artist. So we've modified a lot of these uh, doorknobs around the house. But another cat-motivated house modification I have to say I'm more proud of is this one particular shelf. You like that one, Lori? Oh, yeah, the shelf that makes the cat look like he's floating in the air. That's right. So we've got this uh, big screen TV, and behind it is just a wall. And I installed a shelf that is just a hair below the top edge of this TV. So the TV's out from the wall, you know, about a foot or so. And the shelf uh, is just below the top edge. And the cats can climb up there. They go on the little speaker and they go onto the shelf. And then they can just recline right there. And when from the seating position, it just looks like they're floating on top of the TV. It's really pretty, pretty cool. It's a little warm back there, too. I think they like uh, the, the warmth, and uh, they like looking down on us. Peter, you know what an infinity pool is? Yes, I it do. It sort of reminds me of an infinity pool. Oh, that's right. More with animals today, right after the break. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. AnimalsTodayRadio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's AnimalsTodayRadio.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Hey, Lori. Hi, Peter. Okay, the team has been busy testing out more pet products that we are looking at, you right? You mean the team are dogs and cats? Yes. Okay. Yes. And they are marking down their uh, scores and opinions on the secret ballot. <laughs> and so I have to talk about the company Doog. You ever hear of them? They were new to me until recently, but Doog is D-O-O-G. It stands for Dog Owners Outdoor Gear. They hail from Australia, from Sydney, and they make really stylish and fun products. And we particularly like the Doog Walkie Belt. 
The Doug walkie belt was the first of a series of products from the company. This is a really neat belt to make walks with your dog more enjoyable. It has a couple of zippered pouches, goes around your waist, and it also has built into it a small pouch that you can reach in with one hand and pull out a doggy waist bag or two. This allows you to keep one hand securely on your dog's leash and uh, clean up after them. It's very clever. You can also easily attach your cell phone to this belt, so it's it's really neat product. Also from Duke is the Dog Walker's Walkie Bag. This is like a little purse. You wear it uh, over your shoulder. It's adorable. It is. It's, you could wear this even if you didn't have your dog around. <laughs> and it does have a pouch. You can put your water bottle in there. Also a supply of the cleanup bags. Inside is another zippered pouch and lots of room for whatever you want to take on your walks. That's Doug, Dog Owners Outdoor Gear. These were favorably reviewed by our team. Okay, Lori, what do you have there? Well, we tried a line of dental chews for dogs that our dogs really seem to enjoy. But let's first talk about dental hygiene. Yes, our favorite subject. You know, because I just don't think there's a product out there that should be a substitution for you physically brushing your dog's teeth. Did you know that four out of five dogs over the age of three years have some sort of periodontal disease? Mm. We had a couple dogs with some major dental health problems, and I'm telling you, it's not fun. Most dental problems are very painful for dogs, and you would know this if you ever had a dental health issue yourself. And it's very stressful having to watch your dog suffer, and then the treatment or surgery needed, and the expense that goes along with all that. Mm-hmm. Over the past several years, Peter and I try hard to get into a routine of brushing our dog's teeth. I'm telling you that by taking a proactive approach to your dog's dental health, you can help fight against many common dental health issues like periodontal disease, tartar buildup, and painful abscesses, and even teeth loss. Most dogs with bad breath usually have poor dental health as well. Mm-hmm. You need regular dental care and you brush your teeth every day. Why wouldn't your pets? And caring for your dog's teeth can save you a lot of money on veterinary visits and procedures over the long run. Peter's responsible for the dog teeth brushing in our family. And How did that happen? <laughs> and Peter, you developed or figured out, I should say, the best routine surrounding the brushing, haven't you? Well, routine is the main word here. You really want to do it every day about the same time. And one of the things we found that is most helpful is to, after a long walk and they're nice and tired and they're resting and breathing hard, the tongue's hanging out on the ground, and that's when you can uh, get your toothbrush in there and, and really go at it and they'll allow you to do that. Uh, You use a soft bristle brush and you work your way up to that after, you know, starting when you first acquire your dog, maybe with your fingertip or just a little bit of the plain toothpaste and let them get used to it. And then you gradually work up to it. But trying to do it at the same time uh, each day and they know they're going to get a little treat or reward when you're done makes it uh, so much easier. And there's something about a routine, you know, it's good for the human too. I just want to emphasize you should not use human toothpaste when you brush your pet's teeth. Human toothpaste often comes with xylitol and other substances that might be very toxic for your pets. 
So having said all that, there is a product called Whimsies, and they are dental chews for dogs. The company states they produce human food-grade standards, whatever that means, but our dogs like them, and they are vegetarian, which I like. Whimsies are a member of the Well Pet family of brands. According to them, natural daily dental solutions like Whimsies are critical to oral health and heart health and should be part of a dog's daily routine. And so you'd add this to your brushing. This is not instead of the brushing. Right, exactly. They say not only do pets love the taste, but the vegetarian highly digestible dental chews are a taste they love. And the knobby shapes do the hard work for you, helping to remove dangerous tartar and plaque from the gums and teeth, all the while promoting fresh breath. Yeah, I've watched them go at that. The shapes that they make these dental chews out of are rather novel. So so it seems plausible. I'd like that. Yes, but like you said, not a substitute for regular brushing. Now, Lori, I want to mention the company called California Canines. Uh, They have a real California aesthetic in their products. For dogs, they make things like leashes and collars, and as well as those little things that you tie around the neck of a dog. They're like bandanas or scarves. I don't know what you call them, but they're really cute. You have to have the kind of dog who wants to wear this, but uh, our dogs are very happy with their collars and leashes. And for people, we have been sporting their t-shirts and their tanks, haven't we? They're really cute. One of the motifs they have is the California surfboard and palm tree motif with the dog's chilling out in front of a row of surfboards. It's really cute. They are adorable. And I have to add, the leashes and collars are cruelty-free, so i.e. they're not made with any leather or suede or any animal products, so we love them. That's California Canine. If you're a cat guardian and a regular listener of the show, you probably know that we like to promote keeping your cats indoors. Outdoor cats do not live as long as indoor cats. Outdoor cats are at risk of trauma from cars or from fights with other cats or raccoons and free-roaming dogs. There are a lot of outside predators and animals that will eat or kill your cat, like coyotes and hawks and owls. Outdoor cats are more likely to be infested with fleas or ticks, as well as contract infections diseases. With that being said, I'd like to mention a product we received called the Indoor Hunting Feeder by Doc and Phoebe's Cat Company. According to Doc and Phoebe's, feeding cats from bowls will be a thing of the past. Feeding your cat from the bowl can lead to laziness, frustration, and overfeeding that can lead to other behavioral problems. And in two minutes a day, a cat owner can fill the five mouse-shaped feeders and hide them around the home. Now the cat gets to hunt catch and play with five small meals a day, just like it would in nature. Now, just so you know, we have not tried this product out on our own cats yet. I'm trying to figure out the perfect spots to hide the feeders so our dogs don't get to them first. However, I do like this product for your indoor cats. It offers them some mental stimulation and an activity for them to do, which is always a good thing for our companion animals. Anyway, it's the Indoor Hunting Feeder by Doc and Phoebe's Cat Company. Yeah, great idea. Okay, thanks so much for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.
Today's Animals Today Minute features the world's largest land carnivore, the polar bear. Mainly receiving nourishment in the form of seals, these majestic Arctic dwellers may reach heights of 8 to 9 feet and weigh as much as 1,700 pounds. Their adaptations to surviving the extreme climate include very thick white fur, even on their feet, black skin to absorb the warmth of the sun, a thick layer of blubber beneath the skin, and large flat front feet which aid in swimming. Newborns weigh only about a pound and stay with their mothers about two years. Polar bears are classified as an endangered species with only 20 to 25,000 left in the world. And that's this week's Animals Today Minute.